Welcome back to the Brothers in Christ podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Today we'll be going through Ephesians 2. So without further ado, let's hit it. Alright guys, welcome back to the Brothers in Christ podcast. Today we'll be going through Ephesians 2, um, but let's just uh, jump right in. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now in work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So my initial thoughts, um, in the first couple verses, it reminds us of the last chapter where it's really God who does everything for us and it's not by our own power that we can do anything because it says that we were dead in our sins and when you're a dead person, you can't really do anything. So, um, it's, it's. It's God who saves us and makes us alive in Christ. But, yeah, any first thoughts on that? Yeah, I love the twofold design of this chapter, where in this first part that we just read, how Paul is talking about we were dead in our sins, and then God, who is rich in mercy, he saved us and redeemed us from that. And then in the second half of the chapter, Paul will go on to talk about how the Gentiles were once far away from the covenant promise, and now through Christ they have been brought near. And I love that. Yeah, <laughs> I. Every time I read this passage, I think of the uh, I think it's Mercy Me song. But God, rich in mercy. That was Big Daddy Weave's song, Alive. I actually was gonna reference that, but I totally forgot. <laughs> so every time I read this this passage, the but God is totally like emphasized just just because of that song mostly. But he it's true that he makes us alive and it's all through his power. Um and the reason that he does this is to show off his amazing grace and kindness and mercy and love. Um and then as we talked about in chapter one, what our response should be is to glorify him and uh, praise him 
in everything that we do. And so, therefore, we have, and as it talks about, we have no reason to boast because it's not us doing the work, but God through us. Absolutely. I mean, in verse 8, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And I mean, that's really big for the predestination debate because it's not we who choose God as a result of our works, but it's God who chooses us and plants his spirit within us so that we may then choose God. And then after that, works follow that. If you've ever read the book of James, you'll know he talks a lot about faith and works. And to the reader just glancing through, it may seem that James believes that faith comes from works, but actually that's not true. Faith precedes works, and works are the necessary end result of faith. Or it's not works that cause salvation, as some way under James to say, but salvation comes from faith, and then works are a necessary byproduct of that salvation and that faith. And that faith comes from God's Spirit being planted within us, like it says right here in this passage. And I mean, right there at the end, here it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. So yeah, I really think that points to how salvation is not caused by works, but works are a necessary byproduct of that salvation. Yeah, for sure. And on the workmanship thing, it's crazy to me. I, every, when I read this verse, I think of like the Grand Canyon or like out backpacking or something and looking at creation and seeing the splendor of it all. And then you read this verse and it's not any of that that is his masterpiece or workmanship. But it's us that's his uh, masterpiece in workmanship, which I really like the word workmanship because he's like constantly like trying to refine us and make us better because it's his prized like work that he's doing. And so I really love that. But then we also have a job to do through this and it's he's given us good works to do and we need to fulfill those for his glory as we've talked a lot about, and um, really, it's just glorifying and worshiping him because he has done so much for us. Any uh, more thoughts on this passage before we move on? I mean, yeah, just going back to the point that you made like way back earlier, it says we are dead in our sins, and, you know, dead people can't do anything. So, yeah, I've heard an illustration from people who are like like almost believe in predestination but they want to hang on to their free will that's like someone is drowning and god is on shore and he throws a life preserver to them and if they just stretch out their fingers that's all they have to do they can grab the life preserver and god can pull them to safety but you know that requires a conscious person to do that And we are not conscious when we are dead in our sins. Like, God must dive in, pull us out, and perform basically CPR on us to rescue us from our sins. 
Wow, you're really big on this predestination debate. <laughs> this is quite funny. Alright, well, I guess we can uh, move on. And we'll just finish the chapter here. So, verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two so making peace and might reconcile us both to god in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near for through him we both have access in one spirit to the father so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for, the, for God by the Spirit." Anything that first jumps out to you? Um, well... Actually, I, it, like, in the Old Testament, the Gentiles were s- separated by Christ basically by uncircumcision, right? Yeah. Uh, which God commanded them to do, but it's like a fleshly thing, not in people's hearts. And now it just... Seems weird to me, like, that's what would separate a people from God. But weren't there Gentiles in the Old Testament that were saved? Yeah, I think so. Like, people like Ruth and Rahab, who believed in the God of Israel and in what he was doing and were thus included in the Israelites. Yeah, so I was, I once heard this uh, told um, in a story. So, say there's, like, 20 people going up to watch a movie, and they're at, like, what do you call it, a register? The ticket office. That's, yeah, the ticket office. And the adult who's paying is in the middle of the line, and the first 10 people go, he will pay, he will pay, he will pay. And then the adult comes and pays, and then, all the kids who are after the adult go, he has paid, he has paid, he has paid. And so if you could give some clarity on why circumcision separated the Gentiles, if it's still believing that Christ is your Savior, just he hasn't come yet. Uh, Yeah, the circumcision was made a visible mark in someone's, on someone's body that was like a sign of God's covenant with them. And so people without that mark were excluded from God's covenant. And 
this was required for basically the covenant with God in the Old Testament. And basic, er, and since God had only chosen to reveal himself to the Jews at that time, only the Jews were circumcised. And so, like, basically, if someone didn't have the circumcision, they didn't have the covenant. Or at least that's how many people saw it. Yeah, well, I, I read into this verse, like, the Jews weren't so much, like, absolutely excluded from being saved. It was more like they were excluded from... You mean the Gentiles? Yeah, the Gentiles. Whoops. Um, they were ex- excluded from, like, being spoken to from God. Like, they were separated from God. I, I kind of read into that 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 was, like... God wasn't speaking to the Gentiles. He was just speaking to the Jews. But either way, um, now through through Christ, um, the Gentiles have been brought near. And I actually, I read through this chapter a few times. And each time, it kind of stood out to me that the Gentiles are like all humans. They're separated from from Christ. They can't really do anything about it. Um, and that's like us, like we're dead in our sins, but God who's rich in mercy, he he, uh, saves us. And I also feel like that's what it was like for the Gentiles. And then Christ came and now they can be saved. All right. And then, uh, later in this section, it talks about he himself is our peace. We had a devotion study recently, I think, that was about God being the author of all peace and the prince of peace and the God of peace. And we're going through the study at youth group that's about slowing down and spending time with God, but you you need peace through that. And it was like, where, where do we turn for our peace? And it's through God, because he himself is our peace. It, it was just a little thing that kind of stood out to me while I was reading through it. And yeah, I think the Jews, because of their circumcision and their covenant with God, had kind of been looking down on the Gentiles, and that was definitely causing strife between the two. So then Jesus comes, and he just abolishes the law of circumcision, and he thus brings peace between the Jews and the Gentiles. So I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Another thing that stood out to me is um, our church that we go to is called Cornerstone. And it talks about Jesus being the cornerstone of our life here. And everything should be built on Christ. Like, not just our church, but our life and faith and relationships. I think we talked about this in chapter one. It says it at the end of chapter one too. But I think it's easy to like give the pastor praise and worship team praise, but they should be building on top of Christ and it should be Christ who's getting like all the praise and worship, not the people in the church. I mean, it's fine to like tell them great job, but it's not them who were worshiping it should be god and then 
on top of that, as a community, we need to grow and mature together through Christ um, so that we're building on his firm foundation and not on some other weak foundation that'll give out. But yeah, it should just be Christ who is really just the center of our lives. Yeah, absolutely. And when I read it, read this passage, I think of First Peter 2, 4 and 5, which says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up to a spiritual house, or as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So I think that we are being built like as we come to Jesus and as we go through the process of sanctification we are we as the church are being built together into a living temple to offer sacrifices that are holy and pleasing to God and this goes back to what we were saying earlier the only thing we can do in return for what is God for what God has done for us is just praise him and i think as we come to Jesus, we are, are building our skills together like on top of each other so that we can do just that. Yeah, and I think of the Old Testament the or the sacrifices in the Old Testament and how they would take an unblemished lamb. And I think that should be the goal of our lives to have an unblemished life living for Christ. And obviously... That's not through our own power. It's through Christ. But if if he's not the center of our lives, we're not going to be living unblemished lives. And then we're not really glorifying him and worshiping him. We're more focused on other things. Um, Any last thoughts you got? Um, well, I guess I'll just summarize the chapter. God, God saves us. God brings peace and God builds us up into a holy temple to praise him yeah for sure and that should be our goal in life to be a temple and so then to worship and provide sacrifices in our lives for Christ to glorify him and so we'll wrap up there thanks so much for listening and we'll we'll see you next time Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of Brothers in Christ. Um, I hope you enjoyed it and you were able to learn something from it and hope that you'll uh, join us for the next one. So thanks for listening.